Stever stood on the southbound local platform of the Lexington Avenue line at 59th Street and chewed his gum with a gentle motion of his heavy jaws, like a soft-mouthed retriever schooled to hold game firmly but without bruising it. His posture was relaxed and at the same time emphatic, as if a low center of gravity and some inner certitude combined to make him casually immovable. He wore a navy blue raincoat neatly buttoned and a dark gray hat tilted forward not rakishly but squarely, the brim bent at a sharp angle over his forehead, throwing a rhomboid of shadow over his eyes. His sideburns and the hair at the back of his head were white, dramatic against the darkness of his complexion, unexpected in a man who appeared to be in his early thirties. The florist box was outsized, suggesting an opulent, even overwhelming burst of blooms inside designed for some once-in-a-lifetime anniversary or to make amends for an enormous sin or betrayal. If any of the passengers on the platform were inclined to smile at that joke of a florist's box in respect of the unlikely man who held it so negligently under his arm, aimed upward at a forty-five-degree angle toward the grimy station ceiling, they managed to suppress it. He wasn't a man to smile at, however sympathetically. Stever did not stir or show any sign of anticipation or even awareness when the approaching train gave off its first distant vibrations, gradually increasing through various levels and quantities of sound. Four-eyed, amber and white marker lights over white sealed beam headlights, Pelham 123 lumbered into the station. Brakes sighed, the train settled, the doors rattled open. Stever was positioned precisely so that he faced the center door of the fifth car of the ten-car train. He entered the car, turned left, and walked to the isolated double seat directly facing the conductor's cab. It was unoccupied. He sat down, standing the florist's box between his knees, and glancing incuriously at the back of the conductor who was leaning well forward out of his window, inspecting the platform. Stever clasped his hands on the top of the florist's box. They were very broad hands with short, thick fingers. The doors closed, and the train started with a lurch that tilted the passengers first backward, then forward. Stever, without seeming to brace himself, barely moved. Rider. Rider withheld the token for a part of a second, a pause that was imperceptible to an eye, but that his consciousness registered, before dropping it into the slot and pushing through the turnstile. Walking toward the platform, he examined his hesitancy with the token. Nerves? Nonsense. A concession, maybe even a form of consecration on the eve of battle, but nothing else. You lived or you died. Holding the brown valise in his left hand, the heavily weighted vow pack in his right, he stepped onto the 28th Street station platform and walked toward the south end. He stopped on a line with the placard that hung over the edge of the platform, bearing the number 10, black on a white ground, indicating the point where the front of a 10-car train stopped. As usual, there were a few front-end haunters, as he had taken to thinking of them including the inevitable overachiever who stood well beyond the ten placard and would have to scurry back when the train came in. 
The front-enders, he had long ago determined, expressed a dominant facet of the human condition, the mindless need to be first, to run ahead of the pack for the simple sake of being ahead. He eased back against the wall and set his suitcases down, one on each side of him just touching the edge of his shoes. His navy blue raincoat touched the wall only lightly, but any contact would ensure picking up grime, grit, dust particles, even possibly some graffito freshly applied in hot red lipstick, and even hotter bitterness or irony. Shrugging, he pulled the brim of his dark gray hat decisively lower over his eyes, which were gray and still and set deeply in bony sockets, promising a more ascetic face than the rounded cheeks and the puffy area around his lips justified. He leaned more of his weight against the wall and slid his hands into the deep, slashed pockets of the coat. A fingernail caught on a fluff of nylon. Gently, using his free hand outside the pocket to anchor the nylon, he disengaged his finger and withdrew his hand. A rumbling sound heightened to a clatter, and an express train whipped through on the northbound track, its lights flickering between the pillars like a defective movie film. At the edge of the platform, a man glared at the disappearing express, then turned to Ryder, appealing for communion, for sympathy. Ryder looked at him with the absolute neutrality that was the authentic mask of the subway rider, of any New Yorker, or perhaps the actual face New Yorkers were born with, or issued, or wherever they were born assumed once they won their spurs as bona fide residents. The man, indifferent to the rebuff, paced the platform, muttering indignantly. Beyond him, across the four sets of tracks, the northbound platform provided a dreary mirror image of the southbound, the tiled rectangle reading 28th Street, the dirty walls, the gray floor, the resigned or impatient passengers, the rear-end haunters. And what was their hang-up?